Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, beheld two Hebrews struggling together. And he said to the man who was in his wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you've come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as Ken has read this morning, we are again in Exodus chapter 2. I hope you're enjoying, even though we've only had one sermon, I hope you're enjoying this series. I must say, I have never been so excited about a series in the Bible. I trust you are getting tremendous encouragement from it as well. Well, like a struck match who failed to ignite the fire of revolution, the would-be saviour of slaves sits down by a well to rest and gather his thoughts. What happened, he asked himself. I'm sure that was God's will for my life. I'm sure that was the real purpose why I came to the position I had. See, this is a man who had lived a life of success. But now he finds himself a failure, a fugitive, and a foreigner. One verse in the book of Exodus has been decades in the life of Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, we find Moses in the care of his parents. 
His mother is being paid to raise her own child for the daughter of Pharaoh. And the promise is there that Pharaoh's daughter will come calling. And as agreed, that call comes. And with his head filled with stories of a miraculous salvation of his people through Joseph, and with knowledge of his own birth and the circumstances surrounding that, how God used him and saved him. Moses' life changes. He changes address. He moves schools. And he goes from living in slaves' quarters to living in the royal palace. His life is now going to be a life of luxury and learning. And over the next 30 years or so, Moses is going to be schooled in the ways of Egyptian royalty. His education might include textbooks such as A Beginner's Guide to Pyramids, Leadership and Diplomacy for Dummies, Military Tactics 101. See, Egypt is the world's superpower and Moses would be required to master the skills that it would take to govern a superpower. Born as a Hebrew slave, he becomes a prince of Egypt. Sort of like Moses is Luke Skywalker, and the task is to turn him to the dark side. Where we pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 2, Moses is all grown up. He's certainly not a failure. He is, in fact, a man of privilege and power, a man of honour in the land of Egypt. Stephen describes Moses in Acts chapter 7 as mighty in words and deeds. And historians say that by the time he was 30 years of age, Moses had probably led the armies of Egypt to a decisive victory over the Ethiopians. This is a wise and competent ruler. Moses is a man in Egypt who can not only talk the talk, he walks the walk. And his rise to greatness has taken years, years of learning, years of instruction. But his descent to failure takes minutes. The catalyst for this descent wasn't a flaw in his pedigree or his position. It was a flaw in his perception. Moses knew God's will for his life. He knew that God would use him to save the Israelites out of Egypt. But he misunderstood how God was going to do that. He misunderstood God's timing in his salvation plan. And so we meet Moses, the failure. 
One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Now, our context, as we heard last week for the book of Exodus, is the book of Genesis. Now, I think as we go through things of Moses' life, we'll see that he could probably most closely identify with Joseph. See, like Moses, Joseph knew that he was one day going to be a ruler. God spares Joseph from death and brings him to a position of power in the land of Egypt. But this is where the similarities seem to stall. See, whilst he knew God's will for his life, Joseph resisted the temptation to take control. He allowed God to fulfill his will in God's way and in God's timing. Moses seems less willing to wait for God and tries to be the initiator of God's plan. He takes things into his own hands. He tries to rescue within himself. Moses knew God's will for his life, yes, but he failed to seek God's timing and God's way. One writer says, Moses was dedicated to the will of God, but not to the God whose will it was. Stephen confirms that it was Moses' initiative to go and kill the Egyptian, that it was Moses' idea of rescue. Again, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, "'Men, you are brothers.' Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbour thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses goes out to look on his people with revolution in his mind. But it was a revolution that was destined to fail. Again, not because he failed to discern the will of God, but it failed because he failed to trust in God to do things his way in his timing. And this highlights an issue that we have in our lives, doesn't it? We might 
ask God to reveal his will for us. What do you want of me, Lord? But the danger is if we seek to do his will our way, that will lead to disaster. See, the Exodus is a time that's to be remembered as the time when God rescued his people out of the land of slavery, out of the land of sin. Rescue depends on God. Moses was certainly making himself a prince and a judge over God's people. That is something that God will do. But it's something that God will do in his way and in his timing. Friends, we too need to be dedicated to the will of God in our lives, but we must be dedicated to the God whose will it is. Maybe you can identify with the failure. Maybe you've been sure of God's will in your life, but you've, been gr- you've grown impatient. You've wanted to take things into your own hands, to speed things up a little bit, help God along. Maybe you've pushed the pace in a relationship, or maybe you've pushed the pace in a career opportunity, only to have it end in disaster, only to have it end in failure. Failure is a terrible label, isn't it? It's a label that other people can put on us, but it's a, fail- it's a label that we can put on ourselves. Nine weeks into a new year, how are those New Year's resolutions going? They start to come under pressure, don't they? We make all sorts of resolutions. Eat better. Exercise. I'm going to work less so I can spend more time with the family. And it's not just the physical stuff that we have resolutions, that we resolve to strengthen our will and and improve on, is it? We make resolutions about sin. Sort of have character goals. I'll get my anger under control. I'm not going to talk about people quite the same way as I used to. I'm going to be really vigilant about what websites I visit, about what I view online. We can't help when we fail to give ourselves that label, can we? Someone cuts you off in traffic and you fly off the handle. You hear yourself talking to your family with some real anger and frustration and you think to yourself, failure. You find yourself in conversation and sharing information about someone else that isn't appropriate. Failure. You find yourself with that website open in front of you again. Failure is not fun. But friends, we are loved by a God 
who works through our failures. And we're not to fear failure. Failure will lead us to good places if we allow it to humble us. Humility, is the pla- Humility in the face of failure is the place where we find God's grace. James tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And in Matthew 23, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility hurts, but it's where God works. We are not to fear it. Don't fear failure. Allow it to humble you. As a 40-year-old prince of Egypt, Moses knew how to lead an, an army. But God needed him to shepherd sheep. So Moses becomes a fugitive. When Pharaoh heard of it, that is his killing of the Egyptian, Pharaoh sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. From one of the most honoured to one of the most wanted. See, Pharaoh can't stand having a rival to his rule of Egypt. Certainly not one who is siding with the Hebrew slaves. So there's only one answer for Pharaoh. Moses must die. Moses has become quite attached to life. So he's smart. He flees. He thinks, I've got to get out of this country. There is nowhere safe for me. But maybe that's as far and as detailed as his escape plan got. A bit like Hiccup in Dragons 3. He had only really one way he could go. There were enemies to the south. Desert to the west and ocean to the north. Moses had to go east. To the land of Midian. And when he gets there, we have this strange bit of detail. He sits down by a well. Now it might seem obvious to us that a man who is on the run needs to rest once in a while and he might even need a nice cold drink. But this is more than just a bubble cooler, more than just a bit of fresh water. This is more than just a story about a hole in the ground. See, in the narrative of the Bible, a well is a place where God often reveals the next part of his plan. In Genesis 24, God reveals that Rebekah was to be Isaac's wife. Where? At a well. Jacob also meets his wife, Rachel. Where? By a well. And now here in Exodus 2, Moses sits down by a well. And what do you know? Along comes his future wife. See, when Moses sits down, our ears should prick up. His 
This sitting at the well should lead us to anticipate, oh, what's the next part of God's plan? What's he going to reveal? So now that our anticipation is raised, let's move quickly to verses 16 and 17. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. How fantastic is that? Moses has read the script. He knows what to do. And like a good husband-to-be, when his wife turns up, he stands up. He shows himself. These verses hold subtle reminders to us that Moses, although he's separated from his people, he's still a rescuer at heart. And so is God. This sequence of rising, saving and providing harks back again to Joseph's story. The Hebrew who God raises to power to save his people and to provide for them. It also leads us to contemplate what's going to happen next in the story of the Exodus. And thankfully we know what's coming, right? God is going to stand up. He is going to save his people and he is going to provide for them. The life of a fugitive for Moses starts out as a lonely one. And I'm sure some of us here can relate to the life of the fugitive. Maybe because of your actions or the actions of others, you've been forced to flee a job or a workplace. Maybe you've fled from a school or a relationship. It could be that you've stood up to an unjust or a dishonest boss and you've been removed from that job. Maybe a false charge of misconduct or, or intolerant views have come against you and your career is taken away. It could be that you've gone against the tide and now that school or that relationship is not a safe place for you anymore. Maybe you're from the wrong political, religious or ethnic group and you've been forced to flee your own country or face death. The fugitive life is a dangerous life. But there's also another danger to the fugitive life, not just that you might die. The danger is that you might continue to run. You might become a habitual runner, never settled, always on the move. You might find yourself stuck in bitterness, of past injustice. Or find yourself losing your identity in a place of belonging. No home and no hope. 
What is the answer for the fugitive? I think this story of Moses gives us the answer. As we see in starting in verse 18, the answer is to trust God and be willing to dwell where he leads you. When they, which is the daughters of the priest of Midian, when they came home to their father Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. In fleeing from danger, Moses finds a family of shepherds who accept him and provide for him. See, where we had in verse 15, Moses sitting down, now in verse 21, he settles down. Moses comes to a place of peace, a place he is accepted, a place he can call home. He starts a family and decides, these are now my people. This is now my home. He names his son, Gershom, a name that means a stranger I have been. This name links Moses' past with his present experience. It means he won't forget his time in Egypt. It's a reminder for Moses that Egypt was not his home. But it will also serve as a reminder for Moses that Egypt is not the home of his Israelite brothers and sisters. Looking from our vantage points, it's easy to to assess the life of Moses and see the hidden hand of God throughout. From the outside, knowing the story ahead, it's easy to look back at Moses and his time in Midian as a time that brings Moses shelter and prepares him for what comes next. No doubt it's easy for us to see, but hard for Moses. He is going to spend 40 years in this land. And if he's going to survive this time, he's going to need to adopt the sojourner mindset. But more important than that, he's going to have to think of himself as a sojourner, not just before, but a sojourner still. The sojourner mindset is one that Peter encourages Christians to adopt. 
As sojourners, we have a greater capacity to accept the plans of God, to accept God's plan of how they will play out, how his will will play out in our lives, and when that will happen. A sojourner mindset will enable us, no matter how attached we get to this place, to hold things loosely. Sojourners will find it easy to accept their circumstances because they know that God will lead us where his plan needs us. But it's hard to see those things when you're in the middle of it, isn't it? It's hard to see the the hidden hand of God on your life when you've just lost your health. It's hard to see the hidden hand of God when you've just lost your job. It's hard to see the hidden hand of God when that relationship is no more. But friends, we can trust God that he knows the life of the foreigner. He knows the flight of the fugitive. And he knows the fall of the failure. See, Jesus experienced what it is to live in a place that is not your home. He knows what it is to leave what is familiar and go to a place that is foreign. Jesus knows what it is to flee from an evil ruler that just wants you dead. Jesus knows what it is to go from the most honoured to the most wanted. Jesus knows what it is to hear the accusation, failure. It came through loudest when he was there hanging on the cross. Matthew 27. Jesus is hanging there. And those standing around start to mock him. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's a failure. He's a would-be saviour. But we know from our vantage point, don't we, that Jesus' death is far from a failure. Jesus' death is victory. It is our victory too. It's a victory because salvation comes from the outside in, not from the inside out. If you try to save yourself, you are destined to fail. If you think you have it within you to throw off the oppression of sin, well, I'm sorry, you are wrong. 
Salvation doesn't come through human desire, a strength of our own will. Salvation comes through a power that is outside of us. Salvation comes through Jesus. We've just got to accept it. God knows that we will fail. And God's plan for salvation forgives failure. God takes what appears to us as failure to get us to where he can use us. And through us, his plans can be fulfilled in his way and in his timing. This is good news for us, friends. The failure, the fugitive and the foreigner have all got a place in God's plan for salvation. We all have a place in his family. Do you think of yourself as a failure? Do you look at your life and think, oh man, I'm, I'm a fugitive here. Maybe you see yourself as a bit of a foreigner. Friends, that's okay. God's not done with you yet. God has a plan for your life still. You just have to trust him and allow him to do it his way and in his timing. Will you trust who you are to Jesus? Will you allow him to give you the label? And whether, you, whether you've trust Jesus for the 40th time, whether you want to trust him for the first, the invitation is open to us all. It is open now. If you would like to trust Jesus with who you are and with where you are going, I'd encourage you to Talk about it with someone over morning tea. Grab a cuppa, grab a friend. Chat about it, encourage one another and pray about it. If that's not something you'd feel comfortable doing, grab me, I'll be up the back. In reflecting on the life of Moses, Dwight Moody has these words. He says, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Friends, if we trust God moving forward, we will praise him looking back. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, these are such encouraging words that we can stand at a distance of thousands of years and see the hidden hand your hidden hand 
in the life of Moses. We admit there are things about what he is going through that we resonate with. Father, we still struggle with failure. Lord, we still take things into our own hands. Lord, we try to quicken the pace of your will. We want to realise the promised land now. Father, help us to know that we are still in the wilderness. And Lord, bring us to a place of humility where we will trust you no matter what is going on for us. We're encouraged by our Lord Jesus Christ's example. We will accept that you know the failure, that you know the fugitive and you know the foreigner and that you love us dearly. Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing that life so that we may be free. Help us through your spirit to trust you going forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.